Hey friends, I'm back, Quentin Lampkin with another episode. And this episode is about getting you hired and making money. We will definitely be doing a future episode on entrepreneurship, but today we're bringing back our friend, Michelle Metellus, to share his story on lending his first job after college, paying back student loans, and some tips on how to deal with challenging work environments. For anyone listening to the show, we want you to be prepared to handle hostile work situations in healthy ways so that your first dream job after college doesn't become a complete nightmare. Michelle, I'm glad you're back for a second episode. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. I see we're still dealing with the virus right now. So, you know, everybody's still indoors. So I'm happy to have some interaction with people, even if it's... uh, even if it's all digital. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, this this virus thing is super painful. Um, and I, I also want to just take some time just to uh, just kind of acknowledge the pain that so many of us are feeling since the death of Chadwick Bozeman. You know, our hearts goes out to his family. Um, his death feels like a very personal loss to so many of us, myself included. I watched Black Panther at least three times. And, you know, I was in complete shock when I got the news of his death. What are your thoughts? I mean, we could spend so much quality time just sharing how oh, impactful of course, of course. he's been to society. Honestly, I don't know if it was just the hype. I don't know what it was, but the first time I saw Black Panther, I got like this like joy in me that I don't think I've ever really felt on a show before, like watching a movie before. Like it's just this the representation, just the ideas behind it, everything that's going on. I think it was just this dynamic movie of seeing a black superhero and not like, not that we haven't had black superheroes on TV before. Right. But, or on movies before we've seen them, there's been like a few, like, you know, there's um, the steel with Shaquille O'Neal, you know, there's, there's been movies, but you know, to see it in the silver screen that big, and to have a story that encompasses like the complexities of the black experience and to have this actor who put his all into it to even at the time when he was not healthy, because apparently he was battling with this since 2016. Yeah. And he still went, he did his job and, you know, like there's something to be said about the way that he handled his responsibility and not showing pain and frustration to people. Like there's videos I've seen of him like talking to kids who have cancer and like to know that, you know, he now with hindsight, right, knowing that what he was going through, mm. to still put on that brave space and go and see these kids every day. Uh, you know, there, there's, I don't, there's a quality of humanity there that I don't think that should ever be forgotten. And, yes. you know, at first he was just an actor like in a certain way, you know, like we looked up to him as like, yo, he's his acting skills. Like he was an actor, he was a great actor. But now it's seeing him as just a great human being. Yes, a you remarkable know, human being. Right, and yeah. that that is in and of itself astounding, you know. And it it's a loss, it's a tragedy, but I think it's also he touched the hearts of so many people, so many young kids, so many young black kids seeing representations of themselves on like on the again, on a big screen and a huge movie that made billions of dollars. Like 
his legacy, what he's leaving behind, I think is something amazing. But my heart still goes out to his family because I know that they would trade all of that just to have him back. So yeah, but no, you know, it's, I, I, I'm yeah, definitely. I mean, my heart definitely goes out. Um, and it's 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 I'm at a loss. You know, I I think you phrased it so very well, but I am at a loss of the remarkable human being that we have to say goodbye to. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I, know. I, know. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of thinking about, you know, what we were hoping to talk about on uh, today's podcast, which is going to be something slightly different than what we talked about on episode one. Um, mm-hmm. Really enjoyed our conversation around money skills and ways to make going to college affordable. You know, we talked about everything from money to college and life. Um, but just kind of remind us again, Michelle, you said you attended college near your hometown. You're from Jersey, right? Born and raised? No, I was actually born in Haiti. Um, I came to the U.S. when I was three years old. We lived in Newark, New Jersey uh, for about like the first like 10 years of my life there, uh, give or take. Um, and then uh, we moved to Somerset, New Jersey, uh, you know, um, Parents wanted to get me into the suburbs, um, so we moved out there. And in Somerset, there's Rutgers University, which is down the block in New Brunswick. Uh, so that's where I ended up going to school. Uh, yeah, good university, highly recommend. Um, so, but again, I think as I mentioned in the last podcast, it was a strategic move for me. It was the thing that cost the least amount of money. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm, by the way, I'm a huge Jersey fan, even though I live in New York City. Um, I don't really? know. Yeah, I am. I am. And I have my reasons to be a huge Jersey fan, but I don't know <laughs> if I shared with you, um, that I grew up in Georgia. Um, and as okay. a youngin, you know, maybe back in middle school or high school, you know, I wanted to be a lot of things. I wanted to be a political leader. I wanted to be a teacher, a minister, an entrepreneur. And I spent a lot of time before college and even in college feeling this pressure, a lot of pressure to just pick one thing. And, you know, the surprising thing that happened for me, you know, in my late 20s, my early 30s, is that it hit me, you know, like I realized for, you know, this strange, bizarre moment that I could do a bit of all four of those things um, in a way that was a little bit more blended. And so kind of thinking about what we talked about in our first episode, have you figured out your purpose in life and do you think your current job aligns with your purpose have i found my purpose in life oh man (laughs) (laughs) i wish i could say yes um and I, i mean it's 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 kind of like how you define purpose right i think i have found a purpose in terms of you know, uh, interacting with my family, that's very important to me. I have a lot of younger cousins. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm the first in my immediate family to go to college, um, first to get a master's degree. So I have found a purpose in kind of being a mentor to my younger cousins, uh, giving them advice, helping them, you know, approach tactics that, approach things that I wasn't able to really approach, you know, just giving them guidance and they've been doing amazing. So in a way I have actually found a purpose in that. Like just having gone through those experiences myself, I have found a purpose of being able to lead, you know, a small portion of the younger generation 
you know, into figuring things out on their own and having support. Um, but for myself in terms of career, I don't think I could say that I've found a purpose. Um, my love has always been healthcare. Uh, I think that's something that I've always really been interested in, but, you know, just kind of, as you said, in the beginning, like it, it's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot more that I'm discovering about myself in terms of my interests and what I'm even capable of doing mm. that is kind of making me rethink about the idea of what purpose is and how that's supposed to fit. I think there is an idea and it's, it's a fair one that a purpose is usually one thing that you pick and you dedicate your entire life into it. You put your energy into it. And I think that's, it makes sense. I'm not quite sure if it makes sense in the current world that we live in that changes so rapidly, mm -hmm. you know, from, again, like not to mention the 2008 crisis, but even from the advent of social media, you know, we have influencers now, we have people who are able to make money, you know, just by unboxing things, right? Like there, there's ways. It's true. We have podcasts, right? Like radio was something that was a fairly niche environment, right? You had to know somebody to get into it. Now you can create your own podcast from your living room. So there's all these opportunities to express your skill sets in these dynamic different ways that I can't really sit here and say that I have one purpose that I feel that I've been put here to do. If I, I can give you a very generic saying is that I think my purpose is to help my family, is to be a level, provide a level of support for them mm. and to help anybody who comes to me and asks for help. I think that is like the most basic I can say about what my purpose is. Um, my job is my job. It pays my bills. It keeps me abreast of what's happening in the world. It's giving me perspective on things that I haven't really had an understanding. I work in HR, but in health and welfare, but I work for a life insurance company. So we're always kind of being familiar with, you know, how different laws and policies are going to impact, you know, um, the environment that we're in, especially in the healthcare market, you know, how did the ACA change, uh, the Affordable Care Act, how that changed the healthcare landscape. Like these are all things that I'm learning, but I could have technically learned that anywhere. Um, but it, I think all in all, for me, it's really, my purpose has really become my family. I think that's become the most important and valuable thing to me in the past few years. Um, it's been very important for me to be able to help them in any way I can, support my mother and father, support my cousins. Uh, I think that's, for me, has become my purpose. I can't say I personally have a career purpose that's going to be fixed, even mm -hmm. as I get older. I don't think that's right. going to be a thing. Um, you know, the thing that's interesting is that for a lot of folks, it feels as if college is the pathway to pursuing their purpose. And, you know, when I look back, for me, at least going to a four year college and getting that four year college degree, right after high school, at the time when I reflect on it was the best decision for a lot of mm -hmm. reasons. You know, but for some folks, you know, it might make more sense for them to take some time between high school and college to work to get a job or to travel or join the military, or even, you know, start their own business, right? You talked about podcasting, you talked about being able to leverage things like YouTube to, to build these huge empires that folks are building. Um, and then, you know, have students who've decided to just pursue and get a trade. Um, and there are tons of people who may decide that they just want to wait until maybe their 20s or 30s or later in life to pursue the quote unquote traditional four-year college education degree, or get a degree from a community college, which you talked about on our last podcast. How did you, when you think back on the 17-year-old, the 18-year-old that you were, um, how did you decide, 
you know, that going to college right after high school was the best decision for you? You know, it's funny. I don't think it was ever really a decision. It was just expected. Um, And, you know, I think there's a whole conversation that could be had about the expectations that people have about college, right? Um, You know, I think the idea was kind of simple for me. It was just my parents came from immigrant country. They worked their butts off. Um, The only way I was going to get ahead was to go to college. Right. You know, my parents had already done the backbreaking work. They've already done the blue collar jobs. You know, I remember my dad drove taxi. um, So I would see him in the mornings dropping me off at school as a youngin. And then I wouldn't see him again until the next morning. Um, You know, my mom worked as a certified nursing assistant. So she was just always working early in the mornings, picking me up in the afternoons to take me for piano practice or back home to cook. I saw, so for me, it was just like, oh, wow, like this is hard if you don't have a college degree. So the expectation and their expectation was that I was going to go to college. So when that time came, you know, I'd done well in high school. It it really kind of seemed like a no brainer to me. Um, And, you know, that worked for me. Right. Mm, Um, Right. I don't think that's something that necessarily works for everybody because not everybody learns in the same environment and not everybody who's good at learning in a school environment is necessarily going to translate to a skill at a job. So that's just one of those things that I think that's really important to understand about college is that there is as much as you can put into it, a focus on being able to learn as much as you can, mm-hmm. but also gaining that college experience that everybody so long talks about. Um, but as we mentioned the last time, after a certain point in your life, you do have to kind of figure out what's the point of spending all this money? What is this going to cost me? And what am I going to do next? Um, so was it the best decision for me after high school? I think there probably could have been decisions that were better. I was young. I was dumb. Uh, Don't you know, say that. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't, okay. I don't, my, and I have several friends who can attest to having similar situations. You know, there's a lot. Of I'm talking about. To, I'm talking about the dumb part. The dumb part. Oh, the dumb part. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but, you you were young. You were young. I was okay. young. I was yeah, young. You know, and go. I went to college. You know, um, I I was responsible as much as I could be, but I was I had my fun in college. Um, it wasn't until my junior senior year that I was kind of like, oh man, I really need to shape up. Um, and I've had I have friends now who are doctors who I can tell very similar stories to. Uh, so yeah, it, it is something to think about when you're making that decision. And I think that because of the experience that we've had in millennials, um, seeing what it's like going out into the world after it's changed so dramatically, we're able to have that as an experience that we can show to the younger generation that has been helping them think about what the best approach is for them to go to college. Mm. Because our parents, I don't know about yours, but I know for my parents, it was just, again, you know, you're going to college. There was never any, uh, well, you know, if you want to take some time off, explore, but no, there was not. It was just, you're going to college. That was just the idea behind it. And I think that's the idea a lot of the millennial generation got was go to college. That's the best way to get a job. That's the best way to get ahead. And I think that based off the options that we had at the time, that made sense. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, you you just, again, you always come on with the, the gyms. And, you know, I want to acknowledge something that you brought up. Um, just now, you know, there's a certain privilege, I think, of going to college without needing to take out student loans, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when a person or a family knows that after college, 
there's a $10,000, $20,000. And for some folks that I know, $60,000 or more debt waiting for them. You know, that, that leads to having an added pressure, you know, to be super polite, <laughs> yeah. to use your passion or a well-paid position to pay back those loans. And so, Michelle, can, can we be honest that there's this either or pressure to choose a job that fulfills your passion but may not pay you a lot of money coming out of college versus taking a job in a big company, let's say, that may start you out with making decent money. And, you know, I can confess that as a first-generation college graduate who didn't, you know, wasn't born into wealth, you know, I decided to choose as my first job out of college a well-paid position at a consulting firm as opposed to going into education, which is, you know, the work that I do now and the work that I'm most passionate about. How uh, did I you, Michelle, yeah, how did you make sense of deciding? Like, were you faced with deciding between a career making a lot of money versus a career filled with a lot of meaning? So I wanted to be a doctor. That was um, my initial idea behind the whole thing. Um, and when it came down to it, people know that doctors make a lot of money. That's true. That's a fact. Um, but what people often don't realize is that there's a lot of cost to go into med school. And then when you get into your residency afterwards, you're not necessarily rolling in dough. You're working, mm. you know, a lot of hours. The return for the hours that you're working in, you're working isn't the best. It's a competitive field. You know, you just spent four years of college, another four years in medical school, depending on what you're doing, your residency, getting a fellowship, all of that gets played in together. And you have this, you come out with what, $300,000 in debt. Yep. You could buy a house with that money. Right. So, and, so, and in some places, two houses. Some places, two houses, right? <laughs> right. So I, I, for me, you know, I, I went for the job. Um, it wasn't necessarily my passion, but it's the road that I decided to go to was to go for the job. And I, I think a part of me definitely regrets that and thinks about, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, I had friends who were encouraging me, but what I saw was my debt. You know, I saw that. I was like, I'm walking out right now with, you know, this giant pile of money that I have to owe. I remember, <laughs> I remember um, literally a week before or two weeks before graduation, getting that letter in the mail that mm-hmm. said that year payments begin. <laughs> we <laughs> I know. think I, you, we, you know that. Like, yes. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like my payment was beginning, you know, three months down the line, it was my payments were beginning literally three days after I graduated. Yes. Yeah. So for me, it it kind of, it just sort of made sense. I had to get a job. Like I I had to get something that paid well, start making money, um, save up. And if I wanted to go back to med school later, maybe I would. That was a decision that I had been making. And I think that a lot of people are making decisions about college nowadays um, based off that fact, because they Mm -hmm. know that, the passion doesn't always pay right out the gate. Um, right. And so, you know, you, you push back a little bit of that enjoyment in hopes that you can capitalize and build up and, you know, get that money. And I don't regret the jobs that I've had. Like when I did, like they, they mm-hmm. taught me a lot. Like they, they were what helped me get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we're talking about passion, when we're talking about things that we love to do, you know, it, 
I think that student loans do force people to put passions down the line, kick them down the road. And we see that not just with job opportunities, you know, not to pontificate too much and get off my, I'm going to get off my soapbox a little bit, but we see that with, you know, purchasing things like homes. You know, people mm-hmm. aren't doing that because they have these student loans. And it's rather like, let me, you know, find something that will pay me and I can pay down these loans first. And after I pay down these loans, I'll go and I'll buy a home. Um, right. I think it, I think a lot of dreams are being deferred now. Mm. And that's really, that's, that's really painful. I, I mean, just some of the conversations that I have with, with, with many of my friends, that very same frustration continues to come up. And, you know, I can just think back, you know, for myself and if I were to give my younger self advice, I would say, you know, find something that brings you both money and meaning because, you know, I'm very clear now, for example, if you pursue a career in something you're passionate about, you are going to be more focused. You're going to be more invested in gaining the skills to be effective because you want to be there. You want to be, you know, you know, at that organization because you're passionate about the work that you're doing, you know, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're keeping, you know, in mind that, you know, as you said before, you may have to, or you may start out in a career where you're not making a lot of money in the beginning. But again, if you are committed and you're excited about, you know, the work that you're doing, more than likely, you're going to be really, you know, developing some skills that you can then turn into or parlay into uh, pursuing entrepreneurship, for example, in addition to your nine to five job, you know, that, that you may have to work uh, yeah. for a few years until you're able to go full time as an entrepreneur. Right. Um, right but I think sure. uh, oftentimes, you know, there, there are ways that people could take advantage of things like income based repayment programs mm-hmm. um, for those of us with student loans. And, you know, I know that you and I had a conversation. And you had mentioned that there are also options to do affordable, you know, options for first time um, homeowners. But yeah. I think the question becomes, as you reflect on your journey, do you think it's important for folks to first figure out what they want to do before going to college? Or did you, you know, by going to college, feel like it helped you find out at least some type of direction that you wanted to take in your life? So, I mean, my path was pretty unique, I think. Um, like I said, like, the idea was I was going to go to college. You know, in a, in a weird way, I would almost say that younger me was probably a little bit more focused and tunnel visioned in the way that they viewed things. Um, you know, I didn't have an idea of, like, all the opportunities that were actually out there. I just saw this one goal, and I was like, I'm going to go for it. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, a really, it's a really interesting because I'm, I'm actually kind of putting myself back into my mindset when I was younger. And thinking about, you know, would I have said that, you know, just go to college and learn? I think the answer I would have given back then is yes, right? Like, go to college, like, learn what you need to learn, get out, get a job, take your time, like, you'll, you'll be fine. Now that I'm older and, you know, hopefully a little bit wiser, I, I feel this pressure to just say, nah, take it. Like, you, you do need to know what you're going into. You do need to know why you're walking into college. Um, you know, it, it's this really, and it is kind of a lot to ask of someone who's just, I, I personally think, and I know a lot of people 
might disagree, but I think it is a lot to ask of someone who's 18 years old, you know, what they want to do for the rest of their life and to have that figured out by the point they get into college. If you have it down, you know, more props to you. But I think that is a lot to ask, especially, again, for those who are coming from environments that did not necessarily prepare them to have that kind of mindset in the first place. So I would say the job market today is just so different. Mm. Um, The world today is just so different. And the cost, like you see people leaving, as you said, like ten to thirty thousand, up to sixty thousand dollars in debt. I think it's important to just pump the brakes, mm. take the time to really think about what you want to do, and there's ways to do that. You know, as we mentioned before, community colleges, there's certificate programs, uh, study abroad if you can. Like there, there are ways to if to just sort of take that time to really sort of adjust and really think about what exactly that you want to do. Because if I remember correctly, most colleges don't expect you to declare a major into your, into your sophomore year, right? Mm-hmm. That means that even the colleges have some sort of recognition that people don't necessarily have that, an idea of what they necessarily, what they want to do finalized at that point. And, you know, if you're going to be showing out again, you know, Ten to thirty thousand dollars every year to go to a school. You, you, you got I think you should have some idea of what you want to do, and if you don't, there's ways to gain that that won't cost you money. You know, like it's it's not free anymore. You know, to figure out with your life and college isn't the place to do that if you haven't figured it out yet. So I, I'm not saying that to discourage younger people from who want to go to college but aren't quite sure what to do. Um, I'm just saying that there are options out there. You know, if you don't have a mentor, look for one. If you have a professor or a teacher or somebody who has been a part of your life who you can speak to, do that. And like, they can potentially help you out to kind of give you some sort of guidance because it's too expensive to be figuring things out now. And you can figure these things out for free. So between the cost of college and what it takes to not know, I would say that it's probably best not to. If you are, if you are again, a hundred percent not sure what you want to do. If you have an idea, if you have something in you that you've been like saying, like, all right, this is something I want to pursue, even if it's not finalized, I would say, all right, you can take the leap. But if you don't know, I say take the time to learn. Right, and and even if you do decide uh, to go to college or not. We want to make sure that whatever decision that that folks are making, that those decisions are the most affordable yes, as possible. Yes, that is right. So very important. Yeah, that's important. And and I think you know for those who make the leap, go to college, they then are faced with another reality, which is the job market. And there is a painful reality that we have to talk about. And I want to actually talk about it now. <laughs> um, and it reminds me of so th- there was a p- report that came out a year after I moved back to New York City for the second time because first time I came here, I didn't like it at all. That's another story. Um, but the report, <laughs> the report talks about how difficult it is for black college graduates to get employed. Um, you know, I think it's important to call out that, you know, in 2008, which was the year I graduated from college and it was during the housing crisis, terrible market, um, then and many years after. And of course, all of the COVID craziness, this current job market is probably even worse than 2008. Um, But nonetheless, the report talks about, you know, the difficulties of getting a job um, as a black college graduate. What, when, when you think about landing your first job, 
what were some of the experiences and concerns of lending your first job as a black man? Um, and what advice would you offer to black college graduates who are trying to navigate the job market today? <sighs> the job market. <laughs> um, I think as a, as you know, that report that you're mentioning, um, I think I actually sent you something a little while back um, for 2016 that mentioned something very similar about uh, young black um, individuals not really being hired, um, dealing with crises in the job market. Um, I, I, you know, it's different than when I entered back in 2011 now. Um, the biggest concern I had was imposter syndrome. Um, whether or not I belonged. And again, like I had done a, almost a complete shift in going from a, wanting to pursue a career that gives you some level of independence and, you know, you kind of work for yourself a little bit. You might work with the hospital, but, you know, doctors are fairly independent um, to going to pursue a career where I would have hierarchies and different individuals overlooking my work and, you know, just not really dealing with different personality types that I haven't previously dealt with, um, you know, like, going to manage having managers who were just very nitty-gritty and picky and looking at every detail um having you know managers who or co-workers even who didn't really look at you as someone to mentor but someone to compete against wow um you know, it, it's really complicated to talk about the work environment that you're going to get into because every single one is going to be unique, right? That's that's why we have so much of conversation nowadays about culture. I think it's so important as a young black person. <laughs> the thing I always used to do before I would apply to for a job is I would try to see if I could find out as much information as I could about their C-suite. Mm. You know, see wow. who see and, who and was for, sitting there. And for and, and for those for those of us who who aren't familiar with that with that term. C-suites, what, what is that referring to? Those are the executives. Okay. Right? The people who make uh, the big boss decisions. Okay. <laughs> um, and trying to see if it was diverse. Mm. Um, and, and that's hard to find, especially in certain, in certain fields. Um, so that was like a really big concern of mine was trying to find a place that had diversity in it, trying to find a place that... Um, had people who look like me in positions that were up because that kind of gave me kind of an idea of how far I could reach, mm. right? You know, when they talk about the glass ceiling, that idea of like, how far could you go? If I was looking at a company, I saw that there weren't any people of color on their executive board. Like I knew right off the bat, not that I couldn't, you know, be that guy, that one in a million who breaks through and makes a difference and they can champion me on the front of their website or so on and so forth. But and it kind of gave me an idea about how that company value people of color in general. All right. Um, so I think that for me, it was really kind of just looking at the diversity and then getting used to working in a dynamic again, as I mentioned, where I was no longer kind of independent. Mm. Um, 
you know, and part of that is because even during the internships that I took, I took internships that, again, I was out doing research. I was out, you know, planning my own studies. I was doing things myself. And I just had someone who I would run it by and they'd give me notes. <laughs> mm. that, that was how, that was like a lot of the work I did. I worked as a uh, lab tech for one of my professors. Um, we did experiments during those experiments. You know, I would record the information. I would follow the instructions. And I'd give a presentation at the end of the month you know there would be a sit down and we'd all kind of go through like all right this is what we can do to tweak that was my idea of how work should be and then i get into the workplace and then if there's there's politics there's um knowing who knows who who likes who um and then you know just as a person of color like i i i I code switched (laughs) because that was that was the way i felt that i had to survive and i'm actually really glad now that it's a conversation that we all kind of have um, that, you know, as people call it, we shouldn't have to code switch at work. You know, we spend so much of our time out there that we shouldn't have to feel that we need to be this different person whose voice goes up a whole octave just to make people more comfortable around you just mm-hmm. because your skin color is different, you know? Right. Um, so when I would say for navigating the job market today, just to give like broad advice, like look at the diversity of the company, look at the salary range for the positions they have. <laughs> What's extremely important is look at their pathways for growth. Mm. Um, there's been this trend nowadays where companies are doing the whole, you know, like you have to talk to your manager about how you want to grow. You have to like, you know, show us how. And I, I think that's great because it does put a level of power into the hands of the employees, you know, but because you're being forced to actively have that conversation, you're being forced to, um, you know, what's that word? Champion yourself. Mm. Um, but at the same time though, it does help when a company has, a roadmap you know right. when you can know like okay i'm going to be part of this department what does is this department looking to be like in a few years where is growth going to be in this department i think that's a really key thing to look at if you're going through your first job interview if you're just looking through their website try to contact somebody who works there on linkedin see if there's anybody who you may know who works there reach out to them have them give you little details about that company your resume, it's so important to get it reviewed. I know it costs a lot to get your resume done by a professional, but it's worth it. Like mm. it pays for itself. Um, it's great when you have friends review, like, you know, friends are friends, like it's really helpful, but having a professional who does that for a living, that really can make a big difference on whether you get an interview or not. Because um, the deck is stacked against you as a person of color in many ways. Um, you know, we've heard the reports about having a name that sounds black can get your <laughs> entire resume ignored and thrown out. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's just really important to just make sure your resume is as tight and clean as you potentially can, as you can potentially get it. Um, so, you know, if I was to break it down again, like I know I've been speaking a lot, but if I was to break it down, I would say first look at the company's diversity look to see how inclusive they actually are. Look to see what plans. So many companies talk big now about diversity and inclusion. Look to see what they're actually doing. Second, you know, make sure that your resume is tightened and really is really strong. Third, you know, speak and make up and like find out what their track is for you. Like where exactly do they expect your role to be going? Um, and all of that, like, you know, it's, it's just really important to consider because you don't want to waste your time with these companies that aren't going to help you grow. Right. You know? You're right. giving them your time. Like, sure, they're paying you, but they're also supposed to be helping you. They're also supposed to be building up your experience. It's a give and take sort of situation. So 
a give and give sort of situation. You know, so it's, it's just really important to have those things in place. I like that. I'm going to have to use that. It's a give and give. Yeah. It's a give and give. I like that. So, you know what? I want to say, Michelle, it's always great speaking with you. You know this. I'll say this a million times. You always have an open invitation to the show. Thank you.